0: Welcome to More to Come, P.W. Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior Editor of of Publishers Weekly and uh, Editor of P.W. Comics World and Editor of The Fanatic, uh, P.W.'s new twice-a-month newsletter on comics and pop culture. Uh, And I have the great pleasure to be talking with David Robinson, who's the author of Peggy, which is a a story in uh, the uh, anthology This Place, 150 Years Retold, published by iWater Press, The Story of Friends. Francis Pegamagabo, uh, or, uh, or known as Peggy, um, uh, certainly one of the most decorated um, uh, soldiers of any background in World War I. Uh This is an extraordinary story uh, about uh, Native peoples. Uh, David, thank you so much uh, for being on more to come. Yo, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh so uh look this is really a, a compelling story. I mean uh I it's inspirational. Uh sadly it's a, uh it show it's a record of yet another record of uh the way that uh, uh, native peoples have been treated around the world, including in the US. Uh I've learned so much from it. So tell us a little bit about um the story, which of course is the life of uh Francis Picamagabo.
1: Yeah, what what I appreciate about being a part of this anthology is that we get to tell these untold stories or these mm-hmm. very, I guess, little known stories um, that, that help us to recontextualize Canadian history from an Indigenous perspective. Uh, and so I was given the time frame of the early 20th century, and um, and and I had done a lot of work uh, in writing about Tommy Prince before, mm-hmm. uh, who was a soldier in World War II and the Korean War, uh-huh. and, and so I knew about uh, Francis Magabo and um and I wanted to write a story about him because I think in his story we we see um first of all the exploits and passion of one one indige- one human being one indigenous mm-hmm. person, and the incredible things that he that he did uh for his people and for his country, but also we see a microcosm of how uh, the government in Canada has treated Indigenous peoples historically, and so you get a lot out of the story. So what you have with Francis is we address a lot of the time in the story of of his uh, time during World War I, Mm. uh, where he was fighting uh, for his country Mm. and where he knew that um, he was not viewed as a, a true, really a true human in yeah. the country, and went to do a die for, put his life on the line for his country anyway, and became, as you said, like a one of the most decorated soldiers in Canadian history, the most decorated ind- Indigenous soldier sure. in Canadian mm-hmm. history. Uh, and then to think about the fact that he would put his life on the line, he would do all these things, he would, you know, um, he would, he was one of the most effective snipers in world history. Mm-hmm. And come home and um, they wouldn't even let him have livestock. Yeah. Even though he, he tilled his own soil, he prepared this land to um, own uh, cattle, livestock, and the government uh, would deny his loans. They would say, we don't, we don't want this um, Indian owning livestock. Uh, he's, we, don't tr- we can't trust him to do, to, to, to do that. Uh, and so it's just like to get mm-hmm. people thinking about like where, where were we historically? Where are we now? that we would um look at this man and say we can't give you this yet you did this for us as a country i mean it's just like it's it's almost unfathomable right oh it it's, it's heartbreaking it really is amazing and and the notion that uh indigenous
0: people first of all couldn't manage land or or livestock it, it, but let alone a, an incredible war hero it's actually just mm-hmm. breath, breathtaking in the level of racism
1: it is. It is, and you know, here's a man who went on to, despite all these, um, despite going through and really suffering through PTSD, yeah. um, became became a great leader for his community and for indigenous peoples in, in this country. And, and, and in, in fighting through those barriers, actually because of those barriers, because he didn't want other people, indigenous people to to, to go through and have to overcome the barriers that he had to go through. Uh, and so in that way too, he was an enormous trailblazer and leader uh, and historical figure for this country. Uh, and so I was, I was really proud to have uh, written this story about him because I, I hope that people can really look into, dive into the story and think about, Really, give it a thought and to think about like how did how did we treat this man? how do we treat so many indigenous peoples um sure. uh, when when they have done uh, all of these incredible things historically for this country right
0: yeah um, i'm actually i 'm going to be talking with uh, Natasha Donovan a little bit later also who uh, did the illustrations and it 's a beautifully illustrated story, but just uh, speaking to your point i mean the, the your story. Really ranges widely across his life, including his time in the tenches, uh, trenches. Trenches. Um, uh, I mean, we, I mean, we've all seen and read stories of warfare um, uh, in World War One, and I also had the um, uh, the privilege of interviewing a Max Brooks who did a graphic nonfiction work on the Harlem Hellfighters, uh, and 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 so what we're seeing is a, the similar treatment these these black soldiers. Uh, some of the most decorated uh, soldiers of World War I came back to awful uh, racist humiliation in the
1: U.S. when they came back. It was re- really heartbreaking, and this is a, a very similar story. There are so many parallels, I think, between how black people were treated in the States mm. and how indigenous peoples have been treated in North America and Canada. Um, and I think one of the, one of the powers of storytelling is that it can create connections. Mm-hmm. And so just like, you know, in you reading the story, um, we've created a connection. Absolutely. Uh, and, and we, and, and that is to me, what reconciliation really is it's 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 creating connections between people and finding commonalities and just listening and learning from each other and and hopefully this book can do that um and all i want people to do when they read this book is just to read it and to think about it and then to and and then to to be proactive enough to seek out and learn more um because that's where i think we're gonna where we're gonna heal from really is that knowledge right sure uh, I mean, one thing
0: I, I would like to speak to, of course, is that his life after the military – I mean he went on to be a great political leader uh, for the in, indigenous people in Canada.
1: Absolutely. Um, he, not only chief his, in, of his community, uh, mm-hmm. but he became a national leader yeah. uh, for indigenous peoples in, in Canada. Uh, and so his – and that's why I said like, we couldn't really uh, uh, hit on a lot of that. With the pages that i had to work with um but it's like where is the narrative thread for the story we're trying to tell in these pages and then and then can we leave enough uh, uh i guess easter eggs or enough uh yeah. information in there for people to want to learn more about and dive deeper into his story because you know he he lived into the mid-20th century and uh, and there's so much more that he did um that we just didn't have the space sure. to tell and mm-hmm. so it, it's really incumbent on readers to to read more and to learn more, sure. uh, and and the information's out there, you know. So there's there's really no excuse not to.
0: Well, this is a this is a, a remarkable introduction uh, to his life to those of us who uh, did not know anything about him, and I, I certainly want to know more now. But look, tell us something about uh, yourself and and uh, your 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 own background.
1: Yeah, I mean so this is something that I've done for my whole writing career is writing stories about indigenous peoples, mm-hmm. um cultures, communities, um in both in from a contemporary and historical perspective. And really it was brought on by the fact that I grew up uh in 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 Canada here in in Winnipeg, um really disconnected from who I was mm-hmm. as an indigenous person. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and so I grew up in an urban city. Um you know, I, as I grew up, I encountered both the uh the outcomes of having people people's uh, perceptions of me shaped negatively by the information that was out there at the time Mm -hmm. through popular culture and through education, the systems and, 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 Really, the the way that I perceived myself based on that, and so my mom and my dad were separated when I was younger, mm-hmm. and so um, I didn't have the role modeling for my father, uh, who's Cree, um, uh-huh. to, to really know what it meant to be Cree. Sure. And um and the reconnection between my father and I as I got, grew older was a, what really helped me to shape a, a, a sense of what it meant for me to be ind- Indigenous, for me to be mm-hmm. Cree, and and as I uh, started writing professionally, I wanted to present books for the education system that would help, um, other indigenous kids going through school and adults mm-hmm. connect with their identities, but also to connect, uh, with each other, uh, to develop senses of community, of, of, of connectedness. Um, and, and so that's been the, the focus of my work. So, you know, I've done, uh, children's literature, graphic mm-hmm. novels, a whole bunch of graphic novels, um, mm-hmm. and novels, uh, and it's all had that focus in mind. It's like, what can we learn from each other? What can I teach? And how can I empower youth um, through the stories that I'm telling? Yeah. Uh, well, um, th-
0: you know this this particular story. Uh, it certainly was inspiration to me, I, uh, and it's one of many such stories in this volume. Um, yeah. Which, which, if I didn't mention it, I'm going to mention it again. And it's called "This Place." 150 years We're told. Retold, uh, published by High Water uh, Press, which specializes in works about uh, uh, indigenous peoples, and it will be published in May. Um, are, are there? Do, do you have any works uh, like else coming to market that uh, you want to peg here? Feel free.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Um, thanks. No, I have uh, – I've been working on a young adult trilogy for a while now. Mm-hmm. So um, the third book called Ghosts is coming out uh, this May. Uh, cool. And the whole trilogy is called The Reckoner. And, again, it's looking at, like, how indigenous peoples have been represented in the comic book world and superhero oh, really? stories. Even more um, interesting for me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's kind of flipping all that on its head. And it's trying to uh, reclaim the representation of indigenous peoples in the superhero world. Because the Young Adult Trilogy is really um, an origin story for an for indigenous superhero. Uh, and it's also looking at mental health and that how uh, mental health is represented in, in, in literature. and. So we have a character here who is indigenous, but all, is also dealing with severe anxiety, and so it's it's looking at representation. And I'm really excited about that series. Good. Who's the publisher? Uh, Who's the publisher? Uh, that one is also through Highwater Press. Through Highwater, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still Highwater. And I have a bunch of books coming out with Penguin and HarperCollins in the next three or four years, which are children's literature. Mm-hmm. I have a middle, middle grade fantasy series coming up. Also working on a me- uh, also working on a memoir um, about my father and I mm-hmm. and our relationship. So yeah, I have a, a lot on my plate. And, um, and it's always, uh, it's always exciting to talk about the work, but, uh, it's, a little tougher to actually have to do it, which I still, <laughs> you know, <laughs> still well, to do it.
0: Well, one of the things that I do here, uh, at, at Publishers Weekly, uh, in, in, uh, comics and graphic novels is part of what I do, but one of the things that, that we're trying to do here, what we've seen over the last 15 years or so, is that how the, the comics medium has explored. Obviously, we, we love superhero comics, but, I mean, this kind of anthology, uh, really shows just, Really, how flexible and expansive the comics medium can be. So, um, uh, this book, Santhology, anthology, has been has been an eye opener for me, and, I th- and I'm sure it will be uh, for other readers. Uh, so, David, look, thank you so much for giving us some time, and congratulations on the book. Oh, I appreciate having me on, and uh, thanks for talking to me. You bet. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly, and today we have the pleasure of talking with Natasha Donovan. She's one of the illustrators uh, in this place, and I've talked with a bunch of the other uh, uh, creators in this uh, anthology um, uh, about indigenous people in Canada. Natasha, thank you so much for talking to us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So where are you right now as I speak to you? You seem to be sitting in a car. (laughs) <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm in the middle of having kind of a weird day. I'm, I'm trying to help my friend buy a car, so I'm, okay. I'm in a parking lot.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'll, so we'll interview you in the middle of the new car smell.
2: Excellent,
0: yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, okay, well, great. Well, look, you, you, you illustrated two of the stories. Um, Red Clouds is one uh, that with the writer Jen Storm, and you also did uh, another story with David Robinson, Peggy, about Francis... Uh, was Pegamagabau? I hope I said that correctly.
2: I believe it's Pegamagabau, but okay. it's, that's a well, tough I one. Think David yeah.
0: said it a little differently, but but I'm gonna All go right. with yours. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: In, in any event, um uh both stories really give a different view uh well, different different circumstances for uh, for Indigenous people in Canada, uh, but it, it's disturbing in their own ways as well as inspirational. Mm-hmm. Uh, so w- would you tell us a little bit um, about the stories and how you were recruited to, to do the illustrations for them?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know the specifics of how they found me, honestly. I think mm-hmm. I I did some work for another anthology, um, mm-hmm. and they found me through that. For High Water Press. Um, uh, yeah, that's yeah, right. The, the publisher, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know, I know that for Jen's story, um, she in particular, uh, she was very interested in working with another woman and especially, um, a woman of Indigenous ancestry. So I'm, I'm Metis, which is an Indigenous group in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so that was the explanation for that matchup. And, mm-hmm. um, that, uh, yeah, then the, the other one. Is is Peggy, which is about a, a soldier in the First World War, a sniper. Mm-hmm. Um and a really
0: extraordinary soldier. <laughs> yeah,
2: he yeah. it that I mean, working on that story was so fascinating to me, and I actually got really interested in World War I history uh, as a result of it. Um <laughs> uh, but yeah, Peggy was just this incredible sniper uh who ended up um sort of taking this uh uh, like getting a lot of autonomy uh, in the war and then coming back home and realizing that he was back in the position of uh, being disenfranchised and, and right. constantly like his battle sort of continued. Yeah, in that yeah.
0: despite there. putting his, his life on the line uh, for his country. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but tell us a little bit. I actually talked with David Robinson, uh quite a bit about um, – about the life of uh of uh, Peggy. Uh but tell us about uh Gen Storm, which is almost like a, a ghost story.
2: Yeah, it's I really love her story um because it's 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 got these sort of fantastical elements to it. It's uh it has like elements of folklore and um it's uh, this it's a Wendigo story, so it's um, about the spirit world.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But it, it's also really fascinating because it's about the clash of two two very different legal systems: yeah. uh, the the indigenous one that was already in place, and the Europeans coming in and seeing how they regulate their society, and saying, "Well, this is barbaric. Um, we're going to do it this mm-hmm. way." Can you can
0: um, you retell retell the 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 plot of the story for uh, for our listeners?
2: Yeah, um so it is about um a a woman who and and her family and she's sort of in this uh they're all they're starving and she ends up um becoming or going Wendigo um meaning she she commits an act of cannibalism and uh she sort of her, her, she becomes partly uh, this like spiritual creature called a wendigo, and the other people in the community, specifically Joseph Fiddler, has, they have to, um, they have to kill her, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, then they, they are pursued by the, by the, uh, mounted police as a result of that. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a it's a dark story but it's really um I think it's really necessary mm-hmm. to
0: tell. And as it turns out, I mean um and as I recall from the story, I mean it was set during a time in the early 20th century uh where apparently um they the 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 force had been over over hunted, uh, food was scarce, uh starvation mm-hmm. was was uh kind of pervasive uh among the native peoples uh and people often went off and sort of to delirium. Uh yeah. and uh as I recall there uh there seemed to be um uh an elder or or, or a medicine man in the community was sort of designated to kill. Uh yeah. what, what kill now I wasn't what I wasn't sure about in the story was whether all of these Wendigos were women. Uh cause um, he killed like about fourteen people, I think <laughs> is what the um story yeah. uh I No, they, they weren't
2: all women. Oh, I they, see. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like that, but um and I don't I don't know that he necessarily had to kill all of them mm. uh to to uh resolve that yeah. <laughs> sort of possession, but but in this case he did have to kill this woman.
0: Yeah. And uh and then of course he it, it essentially just this became known to uh the Canadian authorities who went in and and, and there's a trial uh, and it's really kind of heartbreaking this clash, but it's also just incredibly eerie uh, because yeah. this, this uh, figure of the Wendigo kind of hovers over, over all of it. Um, yeah. um But look, uh, 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 it, but the, both stories are really, uh, uh, really have really, really wonderful, illust- wonderfully illustrated, uh, and you, you. you really have to do a range of of illustration, particularly in <laughs> Peg, uh, Peggy's story. You go from world. World War, from the trenches of World War one back to Canada I mean it, it, I mean really across his whole life it's, so it's really, uh, it 's really it 's a short story, but it really covers a lot of ground,
2: yeah, for sure,
0: well so tell us about yourself, but well, you know how uh, how long have you been a comics artist and, and, I, <laughs> and I know you do something else as well, you certainly have other skills <laughs>
2: um, yeah i i uh, well I have so I have a degree in anthropology uh, from the University of British Columbia. And from there, I sort of moved into the publishing world. I worked um, at an academic publisher in um, at the University of victoria and while I was working there, just on the side, I've always um, been interested in art and uh, so I submitted a piece to an anthology um, and eventually, I just sort of i uh, High Water Press got in touch with me, and from there, um, that's, I mean, Peggy was really my first, um, aside from that anthology piece, it was my first, like, real big, big comics wow. pursuit. So that was, yeah, I was kind of, uh, uh, really dove right in. Wow,
0: that's, that. yeah, that's, talk about yeah. on-the-job training. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a impressive piece of work. <laughs> Um, and, uh, well, that's, that's really great. So uh, are you going to do more comics now? I mean, uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, apparently this is what I'm doing. Now. <laughs> this is where my life has taken me. Um, I'm, I did, um, also with Highwater Press, a graphic novel, uh, called Surviving the City, and, oh. uh, we are, are working on, uh, a sequel for that one. Um, uh, so. Yeah, that'll be the next. Nice yeah, so, what's it's surviving? Is it,
0: it's, it's surviving the pity? Is it out in the marketplace now, or is it? It's, it
2: is. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. It you, you can.
0: I will look Find it, it out
2: there in the world. Yeah. All it's right. about uh. It's about two teenage girls and they're sort of uh. Navigating their lives in Winnipeg and dealing with the after or the like um. The consequences of the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls.
0: Uh huh. Um, yeah. Well 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 you know I, I, um uh it's really great to talk to you but I, I I'd love to uh, what does it mean to you you know uh, you know as a, a an indigenous person uh to work on a volume like this i mean I, I i mean as someone you know here in the us uh you know i i have a broad understanding of you know the the really the tragic history of you know uh the american native people uh, uh obviously many of these stories remind me of the same Events here, um, but yeah. I was ignorant, you know, really of the the situation in Canada necessarily. But that how, can you tell us how you feel, uh, how, what it means to you to work on a book like this?
2: Um, I just I think it's it's very important that these stories are told that we understand uh, the history of Canada not from the the mainstream perspective, mm. um, and I also think it helps bring into the uh, public eye the fact that the uh, these issues are the, these are in the past, but but their ramifications are ongoing. Uh, the Indigenous people in Canada, um, they're they they're still facing so much injustice, and I think um, it's such an important thing to to make people aware of that.
0: Well, well, that's great. Well, this book is certainly going to go a long way toward doing doing that. And Natasha. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, look, th- thank you so much for talking to me and, uh, and, and I apologize for the delays in getting to you. Uh, <laughs> no worries, I'll, I'll let you get back to helping your friend buy a car. Okay. <laughs> and thanks so much for being on More to Come.
2: Yeah, thanks for talking to me. Okay.
0: Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World and the Fanatic uh which is PW's new uh twice a month uh newsletter on comics uh, and pop culture. Anyway, right now I'm on the phone with Richard Van Camp who's the author uh of one of the uh, stories in a remarkable anthology about uh, uh indigenous people in Canada. Uh, it's called This Place 150 Years Retold. It's going to be published this month um by High Water Prec. Richard, uh thank you so much for talking to me. It's a pleasure.
3: Masi Cho, Calvin. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh It's really great. And, and actually, may I ask you to translate Masi Cho? Is that thank you or wh- whatever? Before
3: yeah, me, it means thank you very much. And uh-huh. in, and because it's a podcast, I just want to say in my language, in Tlecho Dany language, I want to say, A Calvin, Masi Cho, Sagya Masi. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Ah,
0: uh, you believe me. The pleasure is all mine. So, um, um, look, we I want to talk with you about uh your story, um, uh, like a razor slash. But first, uh, I'd love for you to tell um uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself.
3: Sure, my name is Richard Van Camp, and I was born and raised in Fort Smith, Northwest Territories, in Canada. We're on the 60th parallel. I was born, I think, in 1971, September 8th, first day of school, the first 10 years of my life. And I've been a comic collector since I was about seven years old. My appendix blew up inside of me, tried to kill me when I was a little kid. <laughs> and I had two neighbors, Chris and Toby, that showed up. They'd been told that I wasn't going to make it. So they showed up wow. with their entire comic collection. And they said, you know, Richard, uh, hey, we could have been better friends. Sorry this is happening. It's been a pleasure knowing you. You can have all of our comics. You can have our Sergeant Rocks, our Unknown Soldiers, The Warlord by Mike Grell, issue 13. This is key, Calvin, because this this, this is why I write – this is why I've had 23 books out in 23 years and I work in all genres. This is great. I didn't
0: mention that you're a novelist uh, as well as a comics writer.
3: Yeah, I write baby books and kids' books and Uh movies and you name it, I can do it. So so it was in that hospital in Calgary, Calgary Children's Hospital, that Mm. I survived, obviously – and I read every issue, probably many times every day for two weeks. <laughs> and when I got out, I made a promise that I was going to find the, every single issue before issue 13 of The Warlord by Mike Growl. And wow. when I went down, when I was strong enough, and I went down to the Sunnyside grocer in Calgary, I said, I'd like to buy, how do I get the first 12 issues? I got number 13. And he said kid, we're up to issue 62. <laughs> and, and I, I was so happy because that meant I I wasn't just looking for 12 issues. I was looking for over 60 issues. And that really started me on my trajectory as a comic book reader and an enthusiast and, a, and just a lover of all things illustrated. So, so that's really how I started. And, uh, I'm really proud to be in the new anthology, This Place, with High Water Press. This was a three-year journey
0: wow. for
3: me. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy to be working with Scott Henderson again as the yes. artist. Uh, yeah. He and I were up for an Eisner Award for our graphic novel, also with High Water Press. Mm-hmm. It's called The Blanket of Butterflies.
0: Wow! I love what now. What is that one about? I, you know, I'm not familiar with it, but like oh, I, said, wow. I, it I I it. I'm going to hunt it down. I'm embarrassed because I, you know, I've been. No, don't I, don't feel bad. I had. Don't I was bad. at the the I, I'm there every year.
3: Okay. So a blanket of butterflies is, is based on a real, like these are all based on real things that have happened. I just changed the ending. So a blanket of butterflies, we we were on the short list to win the, the Eisner several years ago for a blanket of butterflies. So high water press is the publisher and Scott Henderson is the artist. We have a real suit of samurai armor in Fort Smith and it's not complete, but it's enough that it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'd been told by a buddy of mine, James Crozier, who was was a security guard, and he said, dude, you've always wanted to be a ninja. You've always (laughs) had those hockey stick nunchucks, and (laughs) Charles Prosper gave you his butterfly knife, and you're always making throwing stars out of tin cans. There's a real suit of samurai armor in in our our museum, and I just never believed him. And one day, I was walking around, and I said, well, why don't I go see, test the theory. And I walked in, and Mr. Curry was there. He was a volunteer Mm -hmm. at the Northern Lights Museum in Fort Smith. And I said, Mr. Curry... Is it true that we have a suit of samurai armor? He goes, yes, we do. You want to go wow. see it? And I said, I do. And we walked down. So I believe, Calvin, that this suit was meant for Fort Smith, Arkansas, where there's a war memorial museum. And it just through a series of merry mix-ups. Misdirected uh, to Canada? It was, it was misdirected. It's fate. It's it, We were touched by the divine. So <laughs> I, I thought to myself, what if? I always say the two most powerful words that any writer has is what if? And I thought, what if a man named Shinobu from Japan could prove that this was the armor that his ancestors used? And he had all the paperwork, the repatriation paperwork. His government knew that he was escorting his, you know, his ancestors' suit of samurai armor back to Japan. He wants to bring dignity and respect and honor back to his family But when he gets to our community, he finds out that the sword that was supposed to accompany it had been lost in a card game by (laughs) the museum's previous uh, director who had a bit of a gambling problem. I see. And so Shinobu has to go and face the man named Benny the Bank and the men who work (laughs) with him, who are very dangerous men, Flinch, Torchy, and Sven, who have all trained in a martial arts called the Dance of Pain. Very dangerous men. And they try and stop Shinobu from getting that samurai sword. And it's also about a little boy named Sonny who decides to help him. And it's it's beautiful. And you'll see that in this place and Three Feathers and, and A Blanket of Butterflies, Calvin, that I'm, I'm really using comic books to celebrate our indigenous history, our traditional laws, the legacy of so many of our heroes from the Northwest Territories. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I was really honored to work with Frank Casselli and honor him. And like a razor, uh, that was really important to me. And how I discovered that story about well, I'm gonna, the birds. I want to oh,
0: jump in here just for a second because sure. uh, just to, just to tell listeners, that's why I'm calling you. Uh, I read your story and um, and all of these stories in this anthology. I mean, for me, uh, they were a real education. I mean, obviously, I'm. Broadly familiar with uh, you know with, with the with the awful the awful history of uh, of Native Americans here in the U.S. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't know much about um, uh, Native peoples in Canada. Obviously, it seems that there's a sadly a similar uh, um, a similar history. But these stories there uh, um, there's so many wonderful personalities, and also there is a sense of these communities being fed up. I mean, in each one of these stories. Uh, I can't, I have to say, I'm completely enthralled by, um, the, the characters, uh, the communities to, to say enough. Uh, and, so I'm fascinated with this character, uh, Chief Frank, uh, Ticelli, as well as his counterpart on the other side, uh, Justice Thomas Berger. So, yes. Now, just to let our, uh, our listeners know what we're talking about. So, I, I'd love you to tell them what, what exactly, like a razor, what, what is, like a razor slash, what is this story
3: about? So it's it's really a celebration of when I was four years old in Fort Smith, Northwest Territories. There was something called the Berger Inquiry, and so Justice Thomas Berger was leading an inquiry. He was going to every Dené community in Denendeh, the Western NWT, and he was being followed by CBC, who luckily video recorded every all the testimony because there were oil companies that wanted to put a pipeline through the Northwest Territories Uh and where the title comes from is somebody stood up at one of the proceedings and said to put a pipeline across the Northwest Territories would be like a razor slash across the Mona Lisa. Yeah. Hmm. And, and so how I discovered the story was I was in our basement and my wife had helped a gentleman named Patrick Scott with his dissertation and it's called Talking Tools, and it's he published it later as a, as a book. And I was going through it one day because I know Patrick and I know his family, and I thought mm-hmm. I better sit down and have a little look at this book. And there was actual testimony, word for word, of Frank Tasselli's speech which he gave August fifth, nineteen seventy five,
0: mm-hmm.
3: in Fort Good Hope, and and I I was so taken with his words because as you know. Canada right now and the States as well. There's a lot of pressure for a lot of pipelines to yes. just ramrod their way through national parks and unceded territory without with police with a complete police presence. Yep. So I thought, wait a minute, I gotta figure out I wanna read the rest of the speech. I was four years old. So I went <laughs> on YouTube and they the whole speech is on there. You can watch Frank Casselli delivering the speech of the century. Wow. I think this is just as powerful as Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. Mm-hmm. And and you can see the oil executives sinking into their seats because this is a 28-year-old chief speaking so eloquently, so beautifully, so powerfully about his love of the land mm-hmm. and how this short-term profit, nothing's worth the short-term profit it, with with – the possibility of something going wrong. And so it it just always seems to work out, Calvin, whenever I stumble upon something, sooner or later a publisher calls, and I remember Highwater Press got in touch with me, and they said, we're going to put together an anthology where we want somebody from every province and territory across Canada to to come up with the one story they want Canada and the world Mm -hmm. to know about. And so we'd like you to consider representing the Northwest Territories, and if you decide to do this, What's the one thing you want people to know? And I said, well, my, mine would be Frank Elliott, 28, speaking to Thomas wow. Berger, ju- Justice Berger, uh, you know, during the Berger Inquiry. And they said, great, let's do it. How would you like to work with Scott Henderson again? I said, well, I'd love to because Scott and I have worked on a number of projects mm-hmm. and, and the rest is history. So this was a three-year – I'm great at the creative. I'm not so great at the fact – Checking, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. where our editor, Laura McKay, because sure. she wanted to link, she and the team, there's a whole team behind this. This was a three-year journey for all of us, and, mm. and I've just held the book for the first time a couple of days ago. It is a treasure. It's huge, and I, I can't wait for it to get into classrooms and in living rooms and in, in friendship centers. And I just think that this is, I always think comic books are a really gentle way to welcome a reader into your life in your culture. And the beauty of this, the the biggest honor of my life was being able to call Mr. Frank Tacelli and his wife Bella and Fort good hope. He's a great grandfather now. Mm -hmm. And he was the one who actually guided me. He answered all my questions. He was very patient with me. And August fifth, you know, two thousand and nineteen of this year will be the forty third anniversary and I want to be with him on that day. And I actually just mailed Mm -hmm. him my, my wife always gets the first copy of all my books, Yeah, and then the second one, I actually just mailed up to him. I don't think he's actually received it yet, because it's got to go way up north. But he told me, he he had a couple of days to write that speech, and I, I just couldn't believe he put that together in a couple of days. And he corrected mm-hmm. his statement by saying, but, but don't forget, Richard, I had been raised in the band office because of my family. I'd spent a lifetime of listening. Mm-hmm. And he knew the world was going to be able to watch it. He knew CBC was coming, and he knew that this was his chance to give a statement about what the land means to the Dene people. And and he nailed it so beautifully. And I'm really grateful to Laura McKay as is our editor and fact checker. I'm really grateful to Scott Henderson. He dug so deep in this. It's some of his finest artwork. And I just know that uh, the Tassali family and the community of Fort Good Hope. I think we owe a lot to Mr. Tassali because certainly his testimony in his speech was was certainly one of the nails in the coffin of of the whole oil exploration at that point.
0: Well, Well, look, uh, uh, Richard, look, this is really great uh, to talk with you. Uh, Congratulations on your story and the book. Uh, and as I said before, I'm going to be talking with some of the other creators uh, in this anthology as well. So, and I'll be on the lookout for more of your stories. You can
3: believe it. Oh, bless you, bless All you, right. Cho Thank you, everybody. Have All a great right. day,
0: Joe. And thank you for talking to me. I really appreciate it.
3: Of course.